Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace Podcast. Another week and another biblical passage awaits us to explore. Our goal is to gain insight and application from God's Word that can encourage us in our day-to-day lives. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. This week, some highly practical wisdom will be coming at us from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 37 is actually a wisdom psalm. That's the category it goes in, along with other psalms like Psalm 1 or Psalm 14. So therefore, it has some similarity with Proverbs, and it's going to express wisdom for our lives. It's also written as an acrostic, which means each line starts with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the reason uh, some psalms are written this way is so that they are uh, easier to commit to memory. Because the psalm is that important, it's worth remembering. And I dare say for us today that it will prove most valuable to you this week when you face certain things that frustrate you or defeat you. So it is worth having even in our memory bank. Uh, The psalm speaks of some things for us not to do and some things that we can do. Uh, It's like a recipe, so to speak, some things that we can mix together and then watch it all come together to form something really actually worthwhile and enjoyable. So let's start cooking, if you will. We look at Psalm 37, just start with verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. And so first he starts right out with some wisdom and a couple of things that we should not do. In other words, here's two ingredients you don't want to mix in your uh, pot, so to speak. Uh, The first one is do not fret. And that's the idea of like being complainy. And secondly, do not be envious of workers of iniquity. Fret. It's the Hebrew word hurrah, or maybe to try to pronounce it better, hurrah. I don't know. You get the point. It just means to become hot, excited, thus agitated. It's almost like the David or psalmist here is saying, uh, cool off. And the second term is envious, and that is just to admire enviously. Just like, wow, they're just, uh, they just have it so great. So don't get agitated and worked up. Don't admire enviously, uh, and don't admire enviously the workers of iniquities, and don't fret about the activities of evildoers. The same advice is repeated in verses 7 and 8 in our psalm at the end of our section, when he says, do not fret because of the one who prospers in his way. In fact, it ends with, don't fret, it only causes harm. You know, that's just some common sense then. If something causes us harm, uh, mainly this harm is to ourselves. You know, if you're envious and fretting about so-and-so, that person, that means you, you dwell on it. You're getting stirred up and some anger is coming out and you're combative and salty in your disposition, sour, and you're not very happy. 
kind of a Debbie Downer. And that affects you and your life immensely as well as has an impact on others. And why do we get like this? Why do we sometimes get worked up and agitated and, 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 and therefore unhappy and so forth as we feel we're fretting over evildoers, namely others? We are obviously then lacking joy and peace. And I'll just give you two kind of simplified reasons why this really happens and so easily happens or overcomes all of us. Uh, first, we always think about when we're fretting, there has to be a point of comparison. So it's the tendency we have of comparing, right? Here's my pile, and then there's her pile or his pile. Maybe it's money or things or advantages, promotions. Here's my good person track record, and then there's theirs. And they're obviously nowhere near as good. They shouldn't have anything as nice or better than what I have. There is my trial, my difficulty, and then there is their trial which is not even a trial at all, we think. Then these comparisons are made, and you're getting a raw deal. Something's wrong, and then you fret. It's not fair. And, of course, we're not thankful then either, and, and, and therefore we're getting more agitated, and somebody else is getting way more than they deserve or getting away with something. But let's go back and remind ourselves. You remember last week in Psalm 113, we we're talking about the transcendence of God and then the imminence of God, how he is near. And if you remember Psalm 113, 7 and 8 says, He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He lifts the poor up and he takes the needy off the trash heap. And if you fail to see that that was you, that was me, that's a description of us in our sinful state. And God lovingly comes down and in his grace wants to lift us up and rescue us. When we go back and get that uh, in our perspective, that grace orientation, that then causes us to be focused on God's love and on the things of Christ and how we're lifted up and set among princes once we're, we, we believe in him. How great is that? Man, talk about undeserved. We're getting this undeserved kindness. We're getting what we don't deserve. And so that grace perspective causes us to realize that in light of God's amazing holiness and goodness and perfection, boy, we are getting a wonderful deal. We're getting a great uh, relief of what we are naturally as sinners, and we're getting treated so differently in grace. Now, that's the first reason, though, that we, when we get away from that, we get into comparisons and we fail to realize that, look, we're all in the same canoe. You're in the same canoe as that person you're resentful toward or you're comparing yourself toward or you're jealous of. They're a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all in this humankind canoe. And all of us have fallen short in light of our sin and are in need of a, of, a, of a gracious God. Well, another reason why we can get kind of negative and ugly and envious and everything else is the word expectations. We have a lot of expectations in life, and typically a lot of our expectations are unrealistic. You know, I was thinking of the song, I know I'm dating myself, this song, I was just a kid myself, but uh, this song goes back to 1970, her name was Lynn Anderson, I think, and she sang this uh, popular song, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. In other words, what is she saying? She's saying, in other words, I never said it would be easy. And her very next line in that song is, along with the sunshine, there's got to be a little rain sometime. So 
this expectations of always having sunshine, always having good circumstances and so forth, it's just not even realistic in the world we live in. And plus it requires an acknowledgement uh, of our human vulnerability. We, we don't want to rather acknowledge our human vulnerability. A lot of times people start with this idea that I shouldn't have been harmed. That shouldn't have, why me? That shouldn't have happened to me. That, that, that's not fair. And you have to ask yourself, whatever it is that happened to you and you're saying, why me, it's not fair? Why not? I mean, we all live on a planet where harm happens all the time, where children are murdered and horrible things happen. To think that you should escape that is a mammoth overstatement of your own importance and lack of sensitivity to everyone else on the planet. Where did we ever get this expectation that everything is supposed to go pretty smooth and pretty well and we're not to have these kind of complications, especially when we live on a world of six billion people and six or even seven billion now, sin natures rubbing against each other, and especially the expectations become a challenge in our mind when we have these higher personal expectations when we realize again who we are and our, our natural state before God as being in Adam and, and having a sinful condition. Like I mentioned in the illustration in Psalm 113 a week ago, what would be the expectations of a cicada or an army worm? That they should be standing out and be much different than any other army worm or have some high privilege? What are the expectations of a guilty criminal who lacks righteousness in the judicial system? What are the expectations of someone seeking out a meager life on a trash heap. And again, when we understand the spiritual vision of 2020 and having the right spiritual vision, things become more clear for us. You know, I think of 2020, if we think of that spiritually, the first 20 would be the human status, our status. Looking with good, excellent vision would be we'd recognize our status before a holy and perfect God, that all have come short and all have sinned before him. And we would recognize that he's totally righteous and just and perfect. And heaven is a place of unparalleled, absolute perfection. How would we ever get in in our sinful status and have admission there? And then the second 20 of the 2020 vision would be the spiritual side of it. And there we would have an excellent, clear 2020 vision would be behold the very character of God and, again, all of his attributes, but not just his transcendence and his holiness and his high, high exaltation status and his glory, but also his eminence. In fact, that he's totally good and merciful and gracious, and we would just be drawn into his love on this side. So we have a 2020 vision, and when you think about what is it we want to focus on, our sinfulness or his glory and his perfection and his invitation and access made available to him through Christ for all. The gift of salvation and his grace. What do you want to behold? Our sinfulness or our unrealistic perceived goodness and false expectations and wrong comparisons? Or him and his incredible glory? spiritual realities. That's what's going to drive us. And that's exactly where we get back to Psalm 37 and verse 2. And that's where we see after saying, do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the workers of iniquity. Keep those ingredients out. Verse 2, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. And he gives a reason based on spiritual reality, not our opinion, but what he says is actually true. And the reason is, you saw it, don't fret, 
Don't be envious because they shall soon be cut down like grass. Meaning they're going to dry up, wither, as in short term, as in life on earth is fleeting in light of eternity. If a few years go by quickly and it's over. So, recognizing that brevity of life and the eternal value, to win here on this earth and lose for eternity is not the way to go. To somehow have some success and some something in your hand when you you can clutch when you die, but then go into a Christless, godless eternity? No. But to lose here on this earth and win for eternity, now that's a good way to go. But how about this? To win here on this side of eternity on earth and also win for eternity, that's the best way to go. And that can happen for any of us, but it takes some perspective. Why can you, why not? Why can't you win here in that sense and also win for eternity? Because we just need to understand what is it to win here. And it's not going to be in accumulating wealth and material things and so forth, all of those physical horizontal things. It might include some of that, but no, the Word of God's going to give us spiritual reality and perspective. And we find it in verse 3 of our psalm. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and do good. Be confident. Have a strong confidence or reliance on the Lord. That's what the word means. And it's on the Lord. It's the the Hebrew term Jehovah, uh, meaning this personal, knowable God who is relational. Yes, you can know him, and you can be confident and have strong confidence in him. Trust in the Lord and do good. Well, what does he mean by do good? It would imply that not fretting and not having envy is doing good. Because the fretting and the envying, well, that's not good. And then he says, dwell in the land. And that word is the the idea of abide. And we even see it a prominent uh, New Testament term, especially in John 15. But here it's to remain, to abide in the land. This is the promised land that God has given to Israel. But we know, according to Hebrews 4 and other passages, for the Christian believer, this land becomes a picture that we can make application from. It's a picture of dwelling in the land of, so to speak, of fellowship and harmony with the Lord, and it's equated to the faith rest life. And it comes by abiding, abiding in him, remaining in him, abiding. You see, you see this land and here you see Christ. It's like he's on the couch as a parental figure. And it's like, it is good to climb up and be next to him. And he's welcoming us. And when you're there, you want to stay there. It's good next to him. It's secure. It's safe. There's love. There's warmth. There's goodness. And so abide. And so here we see this idea, dwell in the land. And then we see the end of verse 3, and feed on his faithfulness. Now, feed on his faithfulness, what a phrase. And it's translated in such a lot of different ways, but some of the, uh, the NIV has enjoy safe pasture. And the Young's literal is enjoy faithfulness. The New Jerusalem Bible, live securely. The New English Bible, find safe pasture. The Septuagint takes it as be shepherded, and the word does carry the idea of shepherding. So it's the idea of 
pasture on faithfulness, and it's God's faithfulness. The idea is that you have security there. The idea of security and safety is a prominent idea here. Dwell in the land and enjoy his faithfulness, his faithfulness. This is the arrows from God pointing down to you, what he is providing, what he is doing, what he is committing to. And it's not from you up what you're having to perform or do. So pouring down upon you in a constant sense is his love and faithfulness. And that's why we recognize in in God, his promises are faithful. 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20, Paul writes, But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes or no. And the reason was, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, his word was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. He is faithful. All of his promises are yes. 1 Kings 8, 56, we read, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. Not one word. This is the faithfulness of God. You can count on him. He has full of integrity. He is truth. He is absolute. He is unchanging. And you can rely on him. And his promises are sure. And he has made a bunch of them. Psalm 57, verse 2, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He will perform. He will come through. He has made promises, and his promises will not fail. And Psalm 57, he continues in verses 2 and 3, God shall send from heaven and save me. He, this is a physical sense there, but he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. You see, This is his faithfulness. And as you're feeding on that, you're being encouraged by that. You're being nourished by that. You are becoming aware and you are appreciating his faithfulness. And therefore, verse 4 of Psalm 37, back to our psalm, he goes on to say, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord, do good, earlier. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And now, delight yourself in the Lord. Take a high degree of pleasure in is what the idea of what that word means. And you do this. You you are the one. You are cultivating. You are moving toward the Lord. This isn't passive. This is you in your thinking and in your heart. You're actively pursuing and recalling to mind and delighting in all that the Lord is. This word is used uh, later in verse 11 where uh, in Psalm 37 where it talks about uh, delighting in the abundance of peace. <laughs> the abundance of peace. And so delighting yourself in the Lord. And notice what comes first. You delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. You don't delight and get all excited about some blessing first and foremost. No, no, no. You are all in for him, period. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's why in uh, just a few verse, a few psalms before this in Psalm 27, Uh, Here it's David writing, and he says in verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. There it is, dwell. I'll just be abiding in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Notice it's not to get a wife or to get a money or to win the lottery or to have this go and this trial or this health. It's I just want to sit in the presence of the Lord and behold him and, and be amazed at his beauty and learn from him. So the delight in the Lord, the Lord is the object of our delight, and it's in him and him alone. And then we see there's even benefits that are secondary to that because it then says, and he will give you, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That the desires of your heart is what you want most. And if you're delighting in the Lord, he is what you want most. Like David said in Psalm 27, one thing that I desire. So, you know, this is like, we can rebind this. This is when we, we have the same desire, this thing, uh, when we have flagrant sin, when we have lust that we want to be fulfilled, and we charge into sinful behavior or whatever. Uh, we want it, and, but it, it's not such a good thing. In fact, addiction often comes, and addiction then, that desire, that lust consumes us, and it turns into something harmful, and it even fools us, because then under addiction, we are running to your problem, as if it's your solution. And there's no satisfaction there. It actually brings despair. So wouldn't it be something in the very throes of our sin, in the midst of that enraging lust, if we could only somehow stop and say, wait a minute, and speak to ourselves, is there a higher desire? Is there something better to delight in? And we know there is, so how do I get there? And in our thinking, can we stop and consider him? Right now, in the midst of your raging sinful desire that he is waiting right then, patient, gracious, wanting to work it out with us, he is enough. He will satisfy. And you can move toward him even in that moment where you're all discombobulated, but you can know his faithfulness and feed on his faithfulness at that moment right there in the pit in the failure right when you feel so distant or or astray right then you can move in your thinking in your heart by faith knowing and believing that god is pleased with you not because of your effort or your goodness because that's never enough but because of his grace and who he is which is more than enough and that's grace isn't it God's uh, uh, unmerited and undeserved goodness and kindness. In fact, when we think of delight and uh, this this whole idea here, Isaiah chapter 55 of grace comes out in Isaiah 55 as well. Notice with me verse 1 and 2. He says, Ho, or look, everyone who thirsts, means you have a craving, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. It's free. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And notice, let your soul delight itself in abundance. Delight! Be enjoying, be satisfied in the abundance of what God can provide to the heart and the soul. And so even in the midst of our failure, his door is open, grace is available. Why do we pursue that which does not satisfy? And even in those moments, we can feed on his faithfulness. 
and find ourselves trusting in him. And as a Christian who is in Christ, we can call upon our position and our identity in Christ and know that the sin nature and the power that it wants to wield has been stripped and is no longer valid. Well, if we truly delight in the Lord, then the chief desire of our heart will be to know him better so we can delight in him even more. And the Lord will satisfy that desire. And in an upward spiral we go, as Warren Wordsby indicated in his commentary on Psalm. John chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, Jesus says, If you abide in me, if you remain, stay in me, dwell, then my words abide in you, and you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But notice, if you abide in me as the condition. That's the, that's where we want to have our minds and our hearts. And then we find ourselves more like-minded and in sync with his thoughts and his desires. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so you will be my disciples. John fifteen nine. as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And so here we are drawn to him because of this love. We can remain and stay and be loved, and be in this incredible relationship, fellowship, and harmony, and our desires then become his desires. It's not like he's granting our desires like a genie. Then he's just a wish giver. What is this? This is how you get to win the lottery. That's not a spiritual relationship. No, it's a connection to him, an abiding in him that links us to him, and we want more and more of everything that he is all about. And our desires then mild into what his desires are. Think of a married couple. The first few years, typically the guy, he's clueless what the wife wants or what she's thinking or what her needs are. Doesn't have a clue. And then as time goes on, he learns. And as love and relationship develops, he begins to understand much better what she thinks and what it is that she's about. And then even more so, as the years turn into decades, then they become like the two really become one and they begin to think the same way. They have the same thoughts. And how did all that happen? By dwelling together, relational connection. So that brings us to uh, the opportunity we have with the Lord and what he's inviting us to abide, dwell, he says in verse 4, um, rather, uh, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, in Psalm 37, 5, then he says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit your way to the Lord. That, again, is to trust entirely to a specific person. Commit things to the Lord. Just put everything into his hands and say, You are in control. Trust also in him. The same word as verse 3, that strong confidence control. Who's going to be in control in your life? Oh, I want to be. Yes, we do want to be. But really, it is so hard for us, though, to hand over the keys to the Lord, to not double check the GPS when he, as the driver, knows the way, to hand him the map. (laughs) You know, it's like taking a free fall into the Lord. And this is what he's saying. Commit your way to him. Why would you do that? Because you know him and his attributes, his integrity, and his history, and you have been feeding on his faithfulness. You know, if someone offered you, hey, you can have all your ducks in a row. You know, you can do it. We'll give you the strings. You can pull them and manipulate, and you can get everything in a row. Just get it where you want it. Would you take it? Yes! Yes! But you know who wouldn't take it? A sheep, right, who has a good shepherd. They wouldn't take it. They'd say, no, I don't need that. I have what I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Now that is really understanding and committing everything onto him. Not even wanting to be in control, knowing he is. Knowing that he's standing by, I got this. Well, I've got this. But you may not do it the way I want you to do. And then we come to a point and say, yeah, but okay, you've got it. You're good. Your loving kindness is marvelous. Loving kindness is another word for grace, really, in the Old Testament. Psalm 17, 7. Your loving kindness is better than life. Psalm 63, 3. So the more you trust God, the less inclined you are to want to have control. And even more, the less inclined you are to want to control other people. So verse 6 says, commit your way, uh, verse 5, to the Lord, trust in him. He will bring it to pass. What will he bring to pass? He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light, in verse 6, and your justice as the noonday. He'll bring forth your righteousness. He will carry out, is what that word, bring forth. He will bring it, make it evident. The Message Bible says he will validate your life. And that's why, you see, as we come full circle, you don't need to fret, because he's got this. We don't need to compare. We don't need to adjust expectations in a wrong way. We can just let grace be what grace is and abide in the Lord. And there's the ultimate life, related to him for eternity, having and being with him, surrounded by his attributes forever. That's winning. Those there who have eternal life, eternal life, those seated with the princes, and we can have that even here horizontally before we go. We can have that kind of life, an abundant life, Jesus calls it in John chapter 10, verse 10. So we come to the end, Psalm 37. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, verse 7. So rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, and do not fret. It only causes harm. Our last ingredient, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. He'll bring out what it is, who you are, and your righteousness in due time. It's all in his hands. In the meantime, you can feed on his faithfulness and enjoy him immensely regardless. And realizing that all the manipulation and control, everything is above your pay grade anyway. Just stay in your lane and see how actually it's pretty great. Don't fret. So, the ingredients, keep the fretting, the anger, and the envy out. And if you look at the list of ingredients on the positive side that were given in this psalm, it's really quite amazing. Now, before we look at that in conclusion, realize all that's been said here is only for the saved. It's only for the one who is already trusted in Christ and has guaranteed risk-free eternal life. And they know it based on his love, his life, and his sacrificial death his pain for your sins, his resurrection, and his promise of life. What is that promise, John 3, 16? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you believed on him? This is what he promised. You will not perish. You will not perish. But you have now eternal life. And if you have that, then you can commit your way unto the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, trust in the Lord, feed on his faithfulness, and so forth. Instead of giving way to self-pity and hatred, as Psalm 37 is for the wise about wisdom, the wise person develops trust in the Lord. 
Contentment is realizing that God has already provided everything you need to glorify and enjoy him. We have all the ingredients, friends. So don't mix it with fretting or envy. Instead, trust in the Lord. It started in verse uh, 3. And then dwell in the land. Abide in the Lord and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself. Enjoy that then. And then commit your way, giving control over to him, and rest in the Lord and wait patiently. Now that's a recipe we can get a hold of. It's our choice though, isn't it? What are we going to dwell on? Others, our performance, comparisons, failed expectations, or the Lord, his faithfulness, his steadfastness, his grace, and our future secure in him, abiding in him. He is all in all, and he has done all that is needed to secure what is best for us. So we have the reason, the motivation. May we delight ourselves in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing goodness to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for even this psalm, which just reminds us of your faithfulness and even our privilege of delighting in you and allowing our thinking to get aligned with you. So teach us, even in the midst of our raging lusts or other desires, to just realize that our chief desire, our best hope is in you and to commit things to you, to to be reminded and aware and realizing again of your excellence and goodness and love and your faithfulness to us. So may we feed on that. I pray for any here who doesn't know for sure that they have eternal life, that they could see this is all available free by just putting their trust, their faith in Christ who did everything for them. It's not in themselves or their works, but in Christ. And so we thank you for this time to study and we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember... Where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.